You are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, DC, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Well, one of the things you need to know about me is that I love Christmas. Not like I like Christmas, not I'm cool with Christmas. I love Christmas. I debated wearing a Christmas sweater for this message. I love Christmas. I love the smells of Christmas. Anybody with me? Anybody spend too much money at Anthropology on the Frasier fur candle? Hello? I like, I will take out a home equity loan to be able to buy as many anthropology Christmas tree candles as I need uh, for our house. I love the trees. I love the lights. I, how many real Christmas tree people are there in uh, D.C.? Amazing, uh, way more spiritual crowd than the earlier gathering. How many uh, fake Christmas tree people are there in this gathering? Okay, great. We'll have a prayer gathering for all of you uh, down here afterwards. No, for real, on the way in, uh, yesterday when we landed, we were uh, driving to the hotel and on the corner, there was a guy who had just purchased his real Christmas tree and was on one of the little red city bike things that you rent with his Christmas tree on his shoulder. And I was like, this dude is committed. Let me tell you how it works. I said, babe, we are not in Georgia anymore because the way it works in Georgia is you go downstairs to your basement and you get your saw out and then you just drive up to the mountains to a Christmas tree farm and you just cut your own tree down and then there you go, a little bit different in a big city like DC. But I love Christmas. I love all the movies. How many of you have watched just, I mean, like the amount of Hallmark movies that I watch as a man, whether my wife is with me or not, I will like just cry on the couch, you know? I love Christmas. I don't know how many times I've seen Elf, but it's too many, whatever the threshold is. I'm still on a quest for the world's best cup of coffee. And I love everything about Christmas. Seems like everybody's in a good mood at Christmas, right? Most people, and uh, it's the best. Here's a crazy thing. I love Christmas shopping, not the actual buying part, but just like going to the mall and watching everybody freak out the day before Christmas, all the men are there and they're like three things left at the store and they're like, I guess this will work. I love everything about it. Did you know that last year, this is historic by the way, and I'm not sure if we should celebrate it or be embarrassed by it, but last year in the United States of America, we collectively, not so much me, we collectively spent $1 trillion on Christmas with a T. Nobody in my household did and nobody who bought a gift for us really heavily contributed into the trillion dollar (laughs) presents. But is that not crazy? $1 trillion. It's an amazing season. One of the best things about Christmas is the music. Am I right? I'm a firm believer. I don't do it publicly because I don't want to be shamed in front of people. But if I'm in my car by myself, I will play Christmas music whenever I want. It's not even like the before Thanksgiving category. I'm not even that. I'm just whenever I want. If I'm in a bad mood, I'll play a Christmas song. Could be July for all I care. It just puts me in a good mood. What are, what are some of your favorite Christmas songs? Just, just shout out a few that you really enjoy. Oh, come, oh, come. Emmanuel, amazing. What else? Silent Night, beautiful. What else? Ark the Herald, angels sing, beautiful. I love them all. Aren't they great? How many people are like on the bandwagon of Christmas music? I know there's some people who aren't, but just so I can see who's here today. Beautiful. The best Christmas song was mentioned, in in my opinion, is Silent Night. 
It just does something to me. It makes me feel like I was like alive in the 40s for some reason. And there's like a crackling fire and like a black and white TV. You know what I mean? You ever, you know the song like chestnuts roasting on an open fire? Like I'm a city kid. We don't even have a fireplace. I don't even know what a chestnut is. But when I hear that song, it just like does something to me. And I love the song Silent Night. It's the most recorded Christmas song in history, according to Time Magazine, which is beautiful. Song was written in 1818 by a Austrian priest named Joseph Moore. A few days before his Christmas Eve gathering at his church, he realized he didn't have a creative element for the Christmas Eve gathering, which is pretty important. So he fumbled through some old lyrics that he had written, went into town, found another dude named Franz Guber, which sounds Austrian, and he was a very mediocre musician. He said, hey, Franz, I've got these lyrics. Can you come up with a melody? And the two of them in 1818, 200 plus years ago, put together Silent Night. And we're still singing it here today. Most recorded Christmas song in human history. And the story of Silent Night is the story of Christmas. But it's more than one silent night. See, the story of Christmas is less about one silent night and about the end of a bunch of silent nights. And this year, just digging into the story, I've been looking at people in the Christmas story that don't always get all of the attention and trying to understand what was actually happening because this is a real thing that happened. This isn't a fairy tale. The savior of the world was born 5,900 miles from where you're sitting right now. And what was happening in the context is beautiful and I think it will encourage all of us as we dig into it today because in our story we we're reading the the account of Christmas mostly out of Luke's gospel and out of Matthew's gospel are the two longest accounts of the birth of Jesus and see for for most of us we just open up the page and we start reading this is amazing but you have to understand that 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 there was a history in a moment that Jesus was stepping into in time that if you understand it will give you a broader picture of the power of God at work on planet earth. Because as we, you and me, simply turn the page over from the New Testament, we go, what was right before that? Oh, Malachi, a four chapter book is what the Old Testament ends with. And we just turn the page over and we start reading about the genealogy and the arrival of Jesus. But what was actually happening is the four chapter book of Malachi closes, the curtain closes on the Old Testament and it wasn't a silent night, it was 400 plus years of silent nights. Nothing from God. He's leading all throughout the prophets in the Old Testament. And then it comes to a close in, in Malachi chapter four. And for 400 years, there is no peep from God. There is no prophet speaking. There is no scriptures being pinned. There is nothing but silence. Could you imagine if you were alive in that day, what you would think? Have we gone too far as a people? Has God just given up on us? Did we, did we step over the line and now there's no coming back from here? Is all the promises that he made to us no longer active because we, we went too far, did too much? Where did God go? And who is supposed to lead us now? In the pandemonium 
and the doubt of the waiting is the actual power of the Christmas story. Because Jesus is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper. This is the power of the Christmas story. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. Anybody enjoy it? Not on my list of skills, waiting. I hate it. I don't like waiting for anything on earth. You ever plug your phone in after it dies and you try to turn it on too early and you just get the little lightning bolt and you're like, it's connected to the wall for crying out loud. Just turn on. You know how long it takes to actually turn on? Like 43 seconds. And we freak out because we have to wait for this long. In the day when I was in high school, some of you will remember this. It's one of my favorite parts about Christmas is that in December, everybody gets kind of like a Christmas crush. You know what I mean? It's just in the air. And I don't know if it's the chestnuts on the open fire or what it is, but there's something about December. You're like, I don't even know that I like you, but you'll work. Come on, let's just flirt for the next month. And then you get to January and you're like, that was nice. So see you later. You know, I'm not really into it. And in my day, what would happen is in December, or as you were, you were asking a girl, out or, or you were dating somebody, you would call them because you didn't text. On your phone, you played snake or you called. Those were your two options. <laughs> and, and you would call them and you would leave a voicemail and then, in the, and then you would just wait. Are they going to call me back? You just stare at the phone, play snake for mo- hours on end. And at every like three seconds that went by, you would convince yourself of something that wasn't true. Right? Ever done that? You would just be, oh, she, she must hate me. That thing I said yesterday, she must not like what I wore yesterday. I don't know what happened. Something must have happened overnight. This is over. This is done. What am I going to do from here? And nothing has actually happened besides the fact that she hasn't called you back yet. Or in 2019, we don't call people anymore. We just text people. And one of the worst things on earth is when you spill your heart out in a text message that's this long, too long for a text, by the way. <laughs> and then you send it and then you stare. And then you see bubbles. Anybody know about the expectation of the bubbles? You're like, what's going to happen here? What are they going to say? What are they going to say? And there's bubbles for long enough that, that, that you begin to convince yourself of the novel that is coming back and how bad it's going to be to you. And I've come to just realize for me personally, a non-response isn't even the worst. What's worse is when you see bubbles and then no bubbles. <laughs> You're like, I'm thinking about responding to you. Ah, copy, select all, delete. I'll just let it go. That's the worst, right? I mean, we hate waiting. We're terrible at it. But the reality is for a lot of people in this room is you are waiting. A lot of people in this room, you know what it's like to have a silent night or a bunch of silent nights. A lot of people in this room, you, you, you're wondering and, and maybe you've been asking God for something for a long time and you feel like everybody felt during the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew and you're like, God, what are you doing? Do you hear me? Have I done something wrong? Did you go silent? Do you still care about me? Are your plans still active in my life? God, I thought I'd be done with this by now. God, I thought my parents would be work this thing out by now. God, I thought I'd be married by now. God, I thought this addiction would be gone by now. God, I thought I would like myself by now. And yet as you speak, 
you feel like nothing. Just silence, silence. No bubbles, no nothing, just silence. And what I want to encourage us with this, this morning is this idea to please never mistake the silence of God for the absence of God. It is crucial for us to understand that while we wait, God works. God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't abandoned you. God hasn't jumped ship on the promises that he's made to you. He is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper. It's the message of Christmas that after 400 years, God through an angel announces not to Joseph and Mary as, as the angel speaks to Mary he says, hey, one of the ways you'll know that I'm telling you the truth is Elizabeth, you know, old Elizabeth who's too old to get pregnant and is barren and can't have a kid. Elizabeth and Zachariah are going to have a son. It's part of the Christmas story. And do you know what the, what the name Zechariah means? It means the Lord remembers. So after 400 plus years of nothing, where the enemy sabotages the silence and convinces everybody God is through with you, the Lord speaks and what he says is to a man named, I remember. His wife, Elizabeth, her name means the Lord's oath. So he's saying to the world, I know that it's been quiet. I know that you can't see what I'm doing. I know that as I'm working, you don't always understand how I'm working things out. But please know that even though it's been silent, 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 it hasn't worked out by now. No, you're not married by now. No, your parents aren't together right now. And it seems like I've just gone totally silent. Please understand, I remember my promise. And those two, Zechariah and Elizabeth, had a son named John, whose name means the grace of God. Beautiful. So if you're in this room right now, and you know what it's like to wait, I'm not talking about waiting for 43 seconds, I'm talking about waiting for what seems like 14 years, then I think God sent me to D.C. to just remind you, just because he's silent doesn't mean he's absent. We walk by faith, not by sight. We look to what is unseen, not to what is seen. For the unseen is eternal. So hold tight to the hope of Christmas because Jesus is working. Jesus is on the move and he's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. One of the things I think is critical for us is that we understand and know the promises of God for our lives. It is impossible to walk and live a life of faith on planet earth without digesting and putting into your mind the promises of God. It's how we fight. It's how we walk. It is our weapon. Our weapon is a melody of promises from the scripture. You say, well, what has he promised me? A few things. He's promised that his plans for you are to prosper you and not to harm you. So think about that. In the silence... In the bubbles, has the enemy convinced you in the silence that his plans are to harm you, that he's not working for your good? If he has, then let the word today calibrate your heart. 
and let it teach you today. No, I know that you think I'm silent, but I am working something out that is far greater than what you can imagine. My plans for you are good and to prosper you. He plans to give you a hope and a future. If you're weary today, if you limped your way in here today, the promise in Matthew is this. You can come to him when you're tired and he will give you rest. The promise is on the table. Romans 8, verse 28. He is working all things for the good of those who love him. These are the promises that we have to hold on to. Because when God is silent, it doesn't mean that he's absent. He keeps his promises. He's never broken one promise. Isn't it crazy how quick we are to doubt God when things don't turn out like that? When what we ask for, it takes more than 48 hours and we go, I, I, I just now I have all this doubt. I don't know if I can believe him. I don't know if I can trust him. But here's the thing. He has a perfect track record throughout all history. He has never one time failed. So today will not be the day that he starts. Your life will not be the life that he chooses to drop the ball on. He is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper. Hold tight to the hope and cling to the promise. This is what Advent means. The four Sundays leading up to Christmas. It's about eager expectation. Expectation's positive. The flip side of the word, it's about eager waiting. It's about waiting with hope. And that's what God wants all of us to do. Another group of people I want to point us to that I think will encourage us is found in Luke chapter 2. I'll read it for us starting in verse 8. So Jesus is born. Incredible. Not a fairy tale. A real life event that happened. The creator stepped into his creation. The painter became paint on his own canvas. And after, he, after he's born, he is being announced into the world. And this is what it says in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. You bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them, the shepherds, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at, the, at what the shepherds said to them. The other thing I want us to see in this story is that the message of Jesus is for all people. It's good news of great joy for all people. Now, I've read the Christmas story a lot of times, just like you have. And in my house, the, 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 the nativity scene is full of gold, not real gold, I work for a church for crying out loud, painted gold nativity figures. 
And we have, this is our picture. It's all clean and perfect and nice and neat. And, and you understand this is not the case, right? You, you understand this is not what the night in Bethlehem looked like. It did not look like what's on your mantle at home. It looked like pandemonium is what it looked like. And I've been reading it this year and I've been noticing what, what's been stirring in my heart is why did God do it this way? Like when I read it this year, I just, I see so much common, so many, so many normal things for a king's arrival. Like, like when, when, when the angels say to the shepherds, hey, let me give you two clues about how to find him. Number one, he will be a baby wrapped in cloths. Not helpful. Every baby is wrapped in cloths. Still to this day, we had our baby, we wrapped her in cloths. That would be like saying, hey, to you, go to the hospital in DC, you go look for the baby, it'll be the one who's crying. Not helpful. And then the second part of it is the identifier. He says, and you will find this baby wrapped in, wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Not an expected place for a king to rest his head. You will find a baby lying in a feeding trough on the backside of a rundown inn in Bethlehem. Why did he do it this way? Why so many common people? Why, why, why was the first group of people that Jesus was announced to the shepherds? Now you live in DC, you don't know any shepherds. I'm assuming. I don't know any either. I got a few people that look and smell like shepherds. I'm not sure what they do for a living in Georgia, but, but we don't really have a concept for who the shepherds were. They, they were not the elite among society. They didn't graduate top of their class. They didn't graduate at all. They, they, they were the, the, they just couldn't make it. They just couldn't quite get there. Couldn't quite put it together. I, I couldn't quite make mom and dad proud. I, I couldn't quite get there. And so I just ended up kind of being on the outskirts of town. Not really a good job. Not one I'm proud of. My hands are dirty. I don't have a roof over my head. I'm dealing with animals all day. And, and this is kind of where I am. I'm just a shepherd, the lowly in society. So I'm reading this and I'm going, God, what? this is like the most unexpected way ever for a king to enter. You would think that if, the, if it really is the king of all creation, he would be born into a rich Carlton. No, he's born in a feeding trough and then announced to all the people that everybody else looked by in the town. Oh, just, they're just the shepherds. They're not in any meetings. They're not the movers and shakers in DC. They're not, they're not working high up in the government. No, they're just, they just couldn't quite make it. You know them, they're just over there taking care of the animals. The shepherds, so normal. And you have to ask yourself, because nothing in the scripture is accidental. It's all very intentional. So you have to ask yourself, why? Why, why did he do it this way? Why, why so many normal things? How can a king of all creation be born into the calloused hands of a carpenter? How? And here's what I think. I think he did it this way because you weren't born in a Ritz-Carlton either. And it's likely that there weren't thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people blowing trumpets and hooting and hollering when you came into the world. 
Jesus came in the most humble of circumstances so that you would understand that he doesn't require you to earn your way up to him, but he came for all people. This took everybody by surprise. Can you imagine if you were one of the religious leaders and your whole life you spent memorizing the Old Testament for crying out loud? And then, you, and, then, and then he gets announced to the shepherds before you. You're like, man, that dude was in my second grade class. He's an idiot. And he's wrecked his whole life. Meanwhile, I've been over here so clean and squeaky clean. And I don't, I don't make mistakes. At least people know about them. And I, I've kind of done the whole thing. I've played the religious game. Why them first? Well, I would say that there's more of them than there is of them. Don't you think? I don't know about you, but, but I certainly relate more to a person who just can't quite put enough good days together. A person who thought my temptations would have vanished by now. A person who thought I'd be further along in my walk with Jesus than I am right now. A person who, who would have hoped that my life was cleaner and more put together than it is right now at 33. So when Jesus comes and is announced to the shepherds, it makes my heart go, man, that's me. He came for people like me. He didn't come for the religious elite. He didn't come for the people who could string together enough good deeds. That's the story of every other religion in the world. Be your best, do your best, and maybe God will accept you. The story of the gospel is this. God knew that you and I couldn't put enough good things together to climb our way up to him. So he sent his son to crawl his way onto planet earth in the most lowly of circumstances so that nobody in this room could think that's for everybody else except me. Extraordinarily intentional, the way he came to planet Earth. I know some of you probably watched this last year. Uh, my wife certainly did. Did anybody see the royal wedding last year? I'm fascinated with how much money people spend on things, if you didn't know, by the fact that we spend a trillion dollars on Christmas and we spent over $1 billion last year on Christmas trees. But the royal wedding, for crying out loud, as a, as a father of a daughter who's already worried about how I'm going to pay for a wedding, uh, $43 million. Million. I'm like, we're having Krispy Kreme donuts at our reception. It's not crazy for royalty to come with pomp and circumstance. Like that's not a far-fetched idea, but that's not the way our king came. He came in the most humble of circumstances so you would know that you're included. I love, he, 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 he makes it apparent in Matthew chapter one, we're included. I also love the giving today. It's the best giving I can remember ever at a Passion City Church. So uh, that will be, hopefully we can get you to come to Cumberland and you can do the giving there and then we will be able to finish the building. So that'd be awesome. <clears throat> but we got a genealogy in the giving. That's good stuff when you get a genealogy in the giving because most of us, including myself, when you get a genealogy, you just go, great. And here's where it begins because I don't care who all his uncles and aunts and crazy people were in his family tree. I just want to know what is applicable to me. But if you break down the genealogy of Jesus, which obviously is important for him to include, if in both of his birth accounts, he includes the genealogy. And the whole thing that we're celebrating is that, that the promise of the, uh, if someone from the lineage of David was going to come, a Messiah from the lineage of David's why he came through Joseph. 
But like David isn't the most squeaky clean dude in history. Am I right? I mean, dude had to have some awkward family dinners. If we're just honest. Not perfect. Not what you would anticipate when you think about the royal line of the king of kings. You, you wouldn't think you would, you would have somebody there that dealt with adultery. Right? Or work your way back up through it. Tamar, prostitute. Rahab, prostitute. Most of the kings listed in the genealogy of Jesus. What it says about them after it says their name in the Old Testament. So-and-so, a king of whatever, whatever, from this time to this time, parentheses, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Don't you wish that was your, like, just one parenthesis you got after your life? That, that is hard that you went down in the eternal, never-changing word of God, and that's your little subtitle. Put that on the business card. Isn't it crazy that when you work through, think about it, we're talking about Jesus, the Savior of the world. When you work through his lineage, you don't see perfection. You see humanity. Because Jesus came... Fully God, 100% God, and 100% man, so that he could relate to everything you're going through, so that he could feel what you feel. He could sympathize with your pain, but yet at the same time, 100% God, he could do something about it. This is the message of the gospel. My wife and I had the privilege of leading the student ministry in Atlanta for a long time, which we loved, and there's a, there's a, a guy who came through our student ministry, and before I was uh, working at Passion, I was a tennis coach. Just a normal, you know, transition. Most people do that. You go to coach tennis, then you become a pastor. It's kind of a normal, you know, feeding thing for pastors. No, I'm kidding. I had no clue what I was doing. Still don't, but here we are. And, <laughs> and there was a, a kid that I used to coach when, when he was playing tennis. Now he's playing in college. He's, ama he's amazing, a great tennis player. And um, we, we got really close. He kind of like became one of Maggie and I's kids. And um, when I left coaching tennis, he said to me, hey, where are you going? I said, I'm actually going to work at this church. And eventually him and his mom started coming to our church. And, and, and over time, he put his faith in Jesus. At my baptism, he put his faith in Jesus, which is amazing. And then I got to baptize him in the same pool that I was baptized in, which was beautiful. And so it's just an amazing story. But I'll never forget a conversation that I had with him ever in my entire life. He said, Grant, he comes from a really broken family. The, the hardest of circumstances you can imagine. A dad who just checked out, checked out, checked out, checked in, checked out, checked out, checked out, and just left the family kind of in pieces. And I'll never forget him asking me as probably a 14-year-old. He said, Granted, does this mean that this is the way my marriage is going to look? Does this mean that this is the way I'm going to parent my kids? Because this, was, this is my dad and this is my example? And I'm reading this genealogy of the king of kings coming to planet earth. And I'm like, no, man, it doesn't mean that at all because you've been adopted into a new family. You have a new dad and a new story and new DNA and heavenly DNA. And the message of the gospel is the redemptive story who takes even the worst and can turn them for good, who makes beauty out of ashes. And so maybe just maybe Jesus includes the genealogy here to let you know that the gospel has the power to change everything. The message is what has always been doesn't necessarily have to be what always is. 
Because at the cross, everything can change. Your story can change. My story has changed. And it's beautiful. In closing, I was thinking about the, the magi or the wise men, which is a good, better, better description to put on your business card than uh, some of the kings. Grant Partrick, wise man. That'd be awesome. I don't have any of those printed yet. And, and so they travel far to, to see the king, this baby. And I love when they get there. This is what it says about them in Matthew chapter 2. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What I was thinking about in the Christmas season, you know, every gift demands a response. Whether it's an intentional response or not, you give a response to every gift. You ever got that gift from somebody, maybe it's your grandmother, for me it normally was her, and when you opened it, if you had time to ask one question, the question would be, have we met before? <laughs> do, you, do you think I would wear this ever? And, and, and then there's the, you know, the, the, the moment where you're, you're giving Christmas gifts and, and, and you're giving a gift to your girlfriend and she's giving a gift to you and you're not quite like all the way there like where you're talking about budgets here. You have $50 and you have $50. It's just how you get a gift and you get a gift and then you open their gift first and then your face is like, not because you don't like the gift, but because they were significantly part of the trillion dollars and you were not barely any part of the trillion dollars and you're trying to figure out how can I get out of here so that I can go to the mall tomorrow and get a more appropriate gift that matches yours. Or can you remember when you were a kid and you would run down the stairs and you would look around the Christmas tree and you would see the thing you really wanted most and your face, regardless of how cool you tried to play it, your face was just beaming with joy. Every gift demands a response. And the wise men came to Jesus because what it says about Jesus to the shepherds is this. What? It says, a, a, a child has been born to you. A gift has come for you to save the people from their sins. The gift has been wrapped and sent from heaven, opened in a manger for us, for you and for me. And my question for us today is, are you happy with your response to the gift? Is your response a, an appropriate response for what was unwrapped? If I can be honest, somebody who works at a church many years, for me, it isn't. Christmas can come, it's the hustle and the bustle and the rush, and then it's over and then it's New Year and then you run the same play every single time. But this year, I'm determined for us, for our family, we're not missing it. We are going to bring an appropriate response to the gift. We are going to worship with all we have. Why did they bring gold? Like, what's a kid going to do with gold? You ever thought about that? It's not about that. You know, all those three gifts represent the, the finest of gifts you could bring. And they said, man, we're coming to meet the kid. We're coming to see the gift. A, gift. a child has been born to us and we're gonna open it and our reaction is gonna be the best we have. So I'm not gonna half-hearted worship. I'm not gonna have a casual response to a king. I'm gonna understand that because of his humbleness to come down from heaven, 
including me in the normalcy of the circumstances and keeping his promise to redeem all of humanity to a holy God, I refuse to come with anything but my best. And I don't know where you are, but maybe for you, you've got a few weeks until we celebrate Christmas. And I just want to encourage you, don't miss it this year. Don't have a casual response to a king. Don't get sideswiped by all the hustle and bustle that you forget that you have the chance during your two seconds on planet earth to give a response to the gift and to get written into the eternal story of God. The shepherds. It's beautiful about them. I never noticed it till this year. Know what it says about them? Listen to this, mind-boggling. It says, when they had seen him, the shepherds came, see the baby. They spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So the shepherds become the first preachers. How beautiful is that? The whole town is like, who's that over there talking? I can smell him from here. What's he saying? Something about good news of great joy. And they were amazed at what the shepherds said. Why? Because if, you're, if you feel like you, 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 you can associate with the shepherd, I never quite got it all put together. I never quite got to perfect. There's a lot in my life that I thought would look different by now. And you think the enemy will try to whisper into your ear and sideline you because of your past. Then can you just hear the power of the gospel today into your life? If you feel like you're too messed up to be used by God, then you have found yourself in the perfect place to be used by him. If anybody in this room knew my story 10 years ago, you would be shocked that I'm standing here today to tell you how good God is. My life had fallen apart. I had wrecked it on every single level, wanting nothing to do with God. I had been convinced that the silence of God was was equal to the absence of God that he had given up on me. And in return, I was going to give up on him. I wanted nothing to do with him. And I drove my life off a cliff into the lowest place you could possibly get. And in 2008, I was tricked into going to Passion Conference. I was told it was a concert. Sometimes Christians do that. Turned out it was a conference about Jesus, and I was so mad I was there. And then a guy got up to preach the gospel, and he talked about a God who makes beauty out of ashes, a God who's working even when we can't see it. And I just sat over here, externally looking like I hated it, but listening out of desperation and going, maybe God came for even somebody like me. Maybe the promise that I thought was done isn't done. And he could still do something with somebody like me. And there was a day that I had to just push all my chips in the table and go, I can't find some, any way to make my life, to put it back together, to take all the fractured pieces and build something that matters. So God, if you can do something with this, 
Here's the shepherd. And God began a process of saying, you may have quit on me, but I never quit on you. And if you bring what looks to you like a million fractured pieces, I will take it and build something beautiful. Because the whole time you thought I was absent, I wasn't. I was behind the scenes orchestrating things, birthing a new dream and a new calling for you. And the same is true for you if you're in this room. God has not quit on you. He has not forgotten you. He is, as the New Testament unfolds, the God who remembers. So let the hope of Christmas dive deep into your heart this season and bring a response. Raise your hallelujah, even when you don't feel like it, even when you can't see it, because God is working. He's working in this place and he's working in your life. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thank you for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.